Hello, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv, the Tuesday edition. I hope you'll all be joining us today in the discussion. Uh, my name is Drew. I'm from Honesdale, Pennsylvania, and with me today is Stephen from Gettysburg, PA. Hi, Stephen. Hey, Drew. Welcome, everybody. Good to see you. And uh, we also have Scott with us from Gettysburg, PA. Hi, Scott. Hello, Drew. Hello, Stephen. Good to see you, too. Um, Jeff, though, who's normally with us each week, won't be here today. Uh, Lord willing, he'll, we'll see Jeff next week. Noah, though, is with us, our webcast engineer. He'll be taking and helping out with the questions and the comments. Hi, Noah. Glad you're here. Hello. Uh, now, today, guys, we're going to be talking about a question that recently came in about promises. Promises or vows. I guess they're both the same thing, right? We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, those things that we make and promise to other people, but especially the ones that we make uh, to God, the promises. How does this all fit in, and what's the depth of, of making promises? Uh, it's an interesting question, and I hope that it's one that will generate the questions from you in the audience, that you'll give us some questions and comments. Or, in fact, you can ask us questions and comments on anything. You use the text window or the Q&A window in the Zoom app. And Stephen, they do that also in Facebook, right? Yep. If you're watching us via Facebook Live, feel free to leave your comments or questions in the comments below, and we'll get to those as soon as we can. Okay. So let's let's start right into it. Uh, what are we going to talk about with regards to questions? I'm sorry. We've got the promises. So I got a question in from a viewer that says, um, I've been watching the Tuesday Bible Talks on your Facebook page, was wondering if you guys would be able to talk about vows and their implications for New Testament Christians. Um, I know many people struggle with this topic, would like to know more about it. Um, and so this is a, a pretty broad question about the idea of vows, which we see come up in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And just as we start out, I think it's good for us to just think about trying to at least wrap our minds around what is a vow. Um, I think when we see this idea of a vow in the Old Testament, the New Testament, it's a particularly strong type of promise usually made to God or to someone else. We think about like our marriage vows and things like that. Um, but uh, it, it is this concept of a, a, a binding promise. Uh, you're saying that you're taking a vow that you will do something uh, that it requires something of you and uh, they're not to be taken lightly. We, there's lots of examples of people taking vows in old Testament, and new Testament. What are some of uh, we talked about this earlier today. What are some of the examples we think of in the Bible when we think about vows? Well, before you go there though, what precipitated, if that's the right word, the question, is there something about someone was saying that a promise just pops in her head or his head and, or our thought comes in the head and someone makes a promise. Yeah. So sometimes I've talked to people who have struggled with this idea that um, if they, you know, think something in their head as far as like making a promise to God, or even they like think those words, if you will, that somehow they're now bound to keep that promise that they've somehow made a vow to God just by thinking something. And I, we can talk about this more as we go. I don't think that's the case uh, that we can't just accidentally, uh, you know, by thinking something uh, make a, 
a vow that, that God will bind upon us or something like that. Um, so we can probably talk more about that as, as we go today. Uh, let's uh, mention just a little bit of that before we go ahead. Uh, and this is a problem that sometimes people have that maybe uh, are a little bit obsessive compulsive and they'll wrestle with a thought coming into their head. Um, I've talked with other people who've said things like, I think I want someone was concerned. Did I blaspheme the Holy spirit? Uh, and well, but I, I thought this, right. I, and, uh, or, or a child saying, well, but, but, but I thought a bad word and I was, I'm wanting not to think a bad word, but of course, when you're trying not to think about something and, uh, don't think about elephants. Don't do it. Right. 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 You can't I'm thinking about elephants. Um, so let's first just talk about for a minute, uh, just some principles to help people that maybe struggle in, in, in those ways. Uh, and, and the first is that there's a difference between being tempted and following through with something. There's, uh, there, there, there's a difference between something occurring to you and deciding to act upon that. And so part of resisting temptation, for example, let's look at James chapter one. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into manifold temptations, knowing that improving your faith, it works patience or endurance. Verse 12, blessed is a man that endures temptation. When he has been approved, he shall receive the crown of life. Uh, let no man when he says I'm tempted, when he is tempted, say I'm tempted of God. Verse 14, each man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust and enticed. Then the lust, when it is conceived, bears sin, and the sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So there's a difference between something occurring to you, something running through your mind, and choosing to dwell on it and focus on it and to let that affect us and make our behavior wrong. I've heard uh, it said this way that you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And that's not to say we should only be concerned with externals because that's the opposite of Matthew chapter five. Um, if we're lusting in our heart and, and imagining having committing adultery with someone, we're already committing adultery in our heart. If we're wanting someone dead, uh, there's already a problem of hatred in our heart. Uh, but there is a difference between the person who is pursuing um, unhealthy thoughts in some way and wanting to pursue that and something just flashing across their mind and they're, then they're concerned. Oh, and, and I think sometimes is the way the question was worded. Oh, did I make an oath? Did I make a vow? If you're, if you're not sure you did, I would say you didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The idea behind a vow is a very solemn commitment that you're making. It's not something to be done lightly. You can make a rash vow. And we can talk about that in just a minute. Um, but you can make a thoughtless vow. But I don't think you can make a completely accidental vow, like just by thinking something uh, or just something floating through your mind. And, oh, no, now I'm bound to that. I don't think that's the way that works. I just want to... Uh say something on a technical side. Uh, I noticed that a couple of um, people wanting to come into the app and they ended up coming, trying to enter in on the Friday night 
revelation study. There's people who are in the audience on Tuesday, Bible Q, or also on the Friday, and they click that link. So I, if, you, if you're coming in, just make sure you're looking at the right link in, in the emails that the system sends out to you. Uh, hopefully they'll hear that. Go ahead. So as you think biblically about this, um, there's just several examples of vows that we see. Uh, one of the ones that probably comes to mind is in the book of Judges. So you get Jephthah, who makes this foolish vow and ends up going through with that. And there's a lot of questions about what exactly happened there, but we know it was foolish that Jephthah wished he hadn't done that. Um, there's examples of good vows, though, as well in the Old Testament. Hannah uh, vows that the Lord will give her a son, that she will give him back to the Lord. And she does that. And so Samuel is born and, and she keeps her vow. Uh, Paul in the book of Acts is keeping a vow. We don't know the exact nature of that vow, but it says that he had his hair cut at Sincrea because he was keeping a vow. Perhaps the Nazarite vow. We don't know exactly. Um, you know, one of the uh, things that I think is really important to think about as this as we think about this is in Ecclesiastes chapter five. Um, let's just go ahead and read this real quick as we're starting this discussion. Um, it's really important as we think about vows, just to not take them lightly. Uh, it, it is no small thing to take a vow before God in the old Testament or the new Testament. Um, and people regretted sometimes vows that they made when they did that hastily. Ecclesiastes chapter five, beginning in verse one, the preacher says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. And here, here's the particularly pertinent part here in verse 4. This is Ecclesiastes 5.4. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. So this is just a helpful reminder that it's better to not make the vow in the first place than to get yourself in trouble by hastily bringing up words But when you're before God. There's all sorts of applications to that. We just ought to be very careful and reverent when we come before God, but particularly when we think about this idea of taking the vow. That requires then uh, discernment and understanding. And we have a number of scriptures in the in the New Testament talks about being sober-minded. And a lot mm -hmm. of times we'll look at the sober-mindedness as far as, well, First Peter is one that comes to mind. Therefore, preparing your mind, First Peter one thirteen. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That being sober-minded applies not just to this thing about taking your taking action and setting your hope and on, on the grace 
thinking about what you're doing and why you're doing it, which brings us to motivation. What, what is the motivation behind uh, making a promise to either to God or to anyone, but primarily talking to God? What's the motivation? Well, it may be that somebody's in a particular situation where they're afraid um, or where they feel uh, pressured. Um, I know even just historically, there have been people who were in a terrible situation. Maybe they thought they were going to die. And so they feel like they need to, you know, make this vow in that moment um, to God to say, God, if you'll save me, then I'll do this or do that. Um, I can identify with that. As I mentioned to you guys earlier, that when I was a teenager, young teenager, uh, raised in a uh, denomination at the time, I had faith in God, but I wasn't an active Christian. So in spite of that, when I was getting home late one time, I knew my father was, my father wanted me home exactly at 10 o'clock. And if I wouldn't get in at 10 o'clock grounded and everything else. So I'm, as I'm running up seven flights of store, store stories, I lived in an apartment. I'm saying, Lord God, help me here. Don't let him catch me coming in late. Well, that was, I wasn't sober minded or thing. And that and it was something I was just, I was afraid of. And I said, you, you help me out here and I'll do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. Right. It wasn't sincere. So is that, is that an example you're talking about someone who's afraid of something and say they promised God something because they're afraid of something? Right, yeah. Or some other great emotion. I know Hannah, in her situation, she was desperate for a son. And so she makes this vow to the Lord. And I don't think she did that lightly. Um, no, that was not out of fear. That was something she was really sincere about. Right. And accepted. Yeah. So, so, so ahead, Scott. To be, Scott, before I'm sorry to interrupt you, but before we get to this, so my point is about the sobriety is that our thinking, we need to be sober in our thinking when we get to something as serious as making promises to God. Yes. But absolutely. if we made a promise, if we deliberately made a vow, you know, I will, et cetera, et cetera, um, to say later, oh, I didn't mean it, or oh, I, you know, um, there's, there's a problem with, with that type of thinking. Scott, Scott? Yes. Even a foolish vow? Well, if we get to a wicked vow, uh, which is one of the ones we have in the book of Acts, then we're kind of back to the principle of what are we to obey? If I have vowed to do something evil, uh, for example, we have three vows in the book of Acts. Stephen's already mentioned one. Paul had taken a vow, and at the end of it, he had his haircut. So I would expect that would have been uh, the, the Nazarite vow or Nazarene vow because in, in, in the first century, as I understand, Jews tend, Jewish men tended to take that vow for a period of a month. So the time is up. And so now he, he cuts his hair that he had been letting grow. Um, the two other times we have vows in Acts is when Paul returns to Jerusalem, uh, after the third missionary journey and, James says, we have these men here, four men that have taken a vow and they're going down to the temple and Paul goes with them to show his respect for the law and to refute the idea that he's been telling Jews not to circumcise or, or follow the law of Moses. See, Paul didn't have a problem with Jews doing Jewish sins. But the third one, uh, sorry, it's taking me so long to get to it, was a very bad vow. Acts chapter 23, um, or at least they 
put themselves under a curse, looking at, now I don't see the word vow. Uh, verse 12, when it was day, the Jews banded together and bound themselves under a curse, saying they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 that made this conspiracy. So we don't have the word vow, but it's a similar concept. Yes, we have the word oath. They bound themselves together. That implies right there. And we will not eat. We will not drink till we have killed Paul. Uh, One of two things happened. Uh, Paul's going to be a prisoner for two years and then be sent to Rome and live sometime after that. So they didn't manage to kill him. Uh, So either these 40 guys died of starvation or or lack of water first, uh, or they decided to renege on that. But that Uh, was not a foolish vow. That was a wicked vow. Oh, it was both. (laughs) Okay, good point. Good point. That was both, yes. But you know what I meant when I said the foolish vow. We even have to keep a foolish vow if it wasn't wicked? Well, if we have promised... Uh, let me let me give you a story. Um, this wasn't a vow to God, but it was a promise, and it, it talked about something. Years ago, I, I heard a gentleman talking on the radio. I don't know what kind of program it was. It might have been a talk program. might have been a sports program. I'm not sure what it was. But he was talking about growing up in North Carolina, and he said he had made a deal with a neighbor. He had a stump in the yard that he needed out. He cut down the tree and the stump was left. And this boy decided he could make some money and he offered to bring his ax and he would chop out that stump. And the man said, okay. And they agreed it was for either a nickel or a quarter, some very years ago, very small amount of money. And uh, so off he went with his hatchet and he started working on that stump. Well, of course, I don't know, maybe after an hour or so, he realized, wow, this would take forever. So he gave up and went home. He said, his dad said, did you tell the neighbor that you would get that stump out, you know, for a nickel or a quarter? He said, yeah, but I didn't know how hard it was. He said, but you told him you would do it. He said, you tell a man you're going to do something, you go do it. The boy went back. And I don't know how long it took him, but he got rid of that stump with his axe or hatchet. And the stingy neighbor only gave him the agreed upon amount. A nice guy might have given him a good, you know, 20 bucks or something. But no, he he got the small amount. But he really valued that. And he talked about how that helped make him the man he was and taught him a lesson. You know, if you say you're going to do something, follow through. Let your yes be yes and let your no be no. That's what Jesus teaches us. Scott, Scott, was that you that chopped down that stump? No, that was not me. <laughs> Somebody heard on the radio. Oh, man. Yeah, we had a, a comment come in just a minute ago. Holly comments that Jezebel did that too with one of the prophets after he killed her prophets of Baal. And that's right, Elijah um, is the prophet in question there where Jezebel basically says, may God do so to me and more also if I do not make you like one of them by this time tomorrow. Uh, and that's why Elijah runs out into the wilderness, ends up at Horeb, you know, wants God to take his life, um, that whole thing. And I believe it's, uh, what, First Kings 17? Um, Sounds right. And, uh, and yeah, so I suppose she, she did not get to keep that. Uh, 
that vow. And, and that, you, you hear that language sometimes in the Old Testament. May God do so to me and more also if this. and I believe that, David used that language after Nathan's story to him about the man and the sheep. Even. Yeah, that's right. And so those uh, examples are in one case wicked, but both of those are with the intent and motivation. I would say that they are sober-minded, even though they were wicked or evil in the case of Jezebel, right? That's a, that's a sober-minded, intentional vow. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. in some of them, there, there's a difference between an oath or maybe a curse and a vow. I think vows tend to be, I will do this, or I won't do this. Uh, oaths tended to be, um, and, and, and somebody can uh, read for us in a minute what Jesus said about oaths, and James also. Um, the Jews had gotten into a habit of really just swearing about all sorts of things. Now, these aren't vows, but they would do so very casually, like uh, they'll say, well, I swear by such and such that there was a snake in the road today as big as you know a, a timber. Or I swear by such and such that there were more people on the road today than the children that came out of Egypt. And they would just say exaggerating things. And, you know, we've probably all known people that tend to do this. I say, I swear, I swear, I swear. And what does Jesus say about that type of thing? Well, Matthew 5, 33 says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely. You shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So is that what you're looking for? Yes. And, and kind of the point there is, instead of swearing by something to try to make our statement be equal to the existence of God or his temple or something else or, or, or the color of our hair, or we can't control if the temple is standing or not, or what, you know, unless you're using dye, what color your hair actually is. Uh, it, it's so just let your yes be yes and your no be no. And one of the good ways to see the value of that, if you've got two friends and one is not honest and he will lie, but he is telling you, I swear, I swear on my mother's grave. I swear on this. I swear on that. And he's got story A and your other friend just always tells the truth. When it's to his advantage, he's been honest with you. When it's to his disadvantage, he's been honest. And he says, no, it's story B. Which one are you going to believe? The guy who lets his yes be yes and his no be no. Yeah. 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 So we have, a, we have a comment in here from Yvette who says, we looked at Jonah 2.9 in a class this morning related to this discussion. Yeah, that's at the very end of Jonah's prayer from the belly of the great fish uh, as he's turned back to God and is giving thanks to God. Um, and really this is a, a, a prayer, a psalm almost of thanksgiving that God has saved his life by allowing him to be swallowed by this fish. And at the end of that prayer in Jonah two, verse nine, he says, but, but I with the voice of Thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed. I will pay salvation belongs to the Lord. 
And so uh, there's this picture of Jonah. We don't know exactly what Jonah vowed to God, uh, but it may be that he had said something to, to the effect of, Lord, if you'll save me, you know, I will do this or do that for you. We don't know the details of that. There's several of the Psalms in the book of Psalms that uh, bring that up. Uh, Psalm 22 Verse 25, for instance, Psalm twenty-two, twenty-five: 25, uh, from you comes my praise in the great congregation, my vows I will perform before those who fear him. Um, that there are times, again, and this is talking of vows in a positive sense, and we don't know the details about those, but that part of worship would be coming in, fulfilling what you have vowed to the Lord. And I don't know if it was uh, vowing to give something in sacrifice or something like that. Um, but that Jonah is saying to the God, I will keep my vows. The author of Psalm 22, David is saying the same thing. Before let's we get to- uh, turn our attention to uh, the question started with vows to God, but let's turn our attention to a couple of other topics. Plus questions just came in here, but here's something for us to be discussing. One, uh, the vows that we make in, in, in a marriage covenant, and two, you know, when you use your credit card and they give you the little slip to sign and it says what? I agree to pay. And, you know, there's all sorts of companies, you know, they advertise on the radio. You don't have to pay all that money you owe. You know, you don't. And, and there's lots of lawyers, you know, eager to help you, you know, get out of your debts and stuff. And so let, let's spend some time thinking about our, our financial duties and uh, maybe before that, our, our marital vows. But here's the question that came in. Do you think it's wrong to swear in court? Uh, I know that there are a number of brethren who would say that, uh, and, and they would point to where Jesus is told by the Sanhedrin, I adjure you, etc., that, that it's okay. Um, I'm not, I'm not completely sold on that. Let your yay be yay, swear not at all. Uh, last time I was testifying in court, um, actually it was an attempted murder trial. I was, <laughs> I was the, one of the witnesses they called to testify. It's just a situation I came upon on the road. But uh, um, I think they said, and they often do, do your swear or affirm. And then I say, I affirm. Yeah, well, that's saying you're yet let your yes be yes and no be no, and that relates to when you sign that piece of paper on your credit card. Your your yes is let your yes be yes. So so no be no. It's not wrong, and I guess it's based on the question. The way we're identifying the question is it wrong to swear in court? It's not wrong to let your yes be yes, and how you express that to the judge in court, I guess, is what's important. Yeah, and we want to just be really careful. And really, we probably don't even have time today to get into all of the semantics of that to figure out the difference between swearing or affirming and all those things. But it's good for each Christian to study that out and figure out before they're in that scenario and they're being asked, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God? What am I going to say when I get up on the stand? You know, And there are sometimes options, like Scott mentioned, do you affirm uh, so that we can be careful to be pleasing to God, but also in a court of law to express to people, I'm going to tell the truth. That's what I'm always going to do. You know, I don't need an extra statement to do that, but to let people know, Hey, I'm going to tell the truth. Back to the frivolous uh, promise or vow. I want to just 
play with that a little bit more. We just went through it quickly, but um, the thoughts where uh, just a spontaneous thought comes in your head and you make a vow on that. Because that's where the question started from. Did we go over that enough? I thought that maybe there was something else we want, you wanted to add to that or, or a little bit more, sort of more emphasis on that. I don't think so. I, I think, you know, what we had talked about was just that you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. It, it, just because a thought runs through your head doesn't make that a binding agreement between you and God, just because something floated through your mind. But when we take a vow, that's something very intentional. That's something that uh, is very solemn. And again, it can be done thoughtlessly. It can be done foolishly. And we're still held to that. Um, now, as we've also mentioned, if you vow to do something sinful, then you don't, don't sin, <laughs> you know, uh, repent of that. Um, but, uh, just, we need to be really careful before we start taking vows before the Lord. Right. Yes. Yeah, Just a way of illustrating some of that decades ago, maybe 30, 40 years ago, I saw the end of a movie where a fella is, he's, he's gone out in the ocean to commit suicide and then has changed his mind and he's out in the waves and he asked God, God, if you will let me get back to land, I'll give you everything. And he starts swimming he makes it halfway, and he says, uh, if you let me get this last little bit, I'll still give you half of it. And <laughs> makes it to the shore, and he says, never mind, I got there on my own. And so oh, that, wow. that's the type of mentality that uh, may reflect how some people make vows, but certainly reflects the attitudes we shouldn't have. All right, yeah. let's talk about uh, marriage. And like, what, what is Malachi? Malachi talks about this. Uh, the importance of our covenant, and, and and most of us have said vows in our marriage. Mm-hmm. Let's start. Yeah, um, let's see here. So in Malachi two, I believe, is what we're looking at here. Um, starting in verse thirteen, he, he's addressing several problems that were going on in this time after the return from captivity. Um, but one of the things that was happening, Malachi two thirteen. He says, and the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. You say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? What was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Many translations in verse uh, 16 there say God hates divorce. This is that passage. The ESV has a different rendering there. But the point of this passage, as you brought up, is that when you make a covenant in your marriage, God is the one who seals that covenant. He's the one who is holding you to that. He heard what you said and did. Yeah. And, you know, have you ever doing uh, marriage counseling with a couple, 
if you ever wished you could get them to go back to the day they married and, and view each other in their responsibilities, you know, the way they did then. Uh, and of course, at that point, there's a lot of water under the bridge and different things. But, you know, when, when we, most of us, when, uh, when we're married, there, there's very specific statements about, for instance, the, do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife, to have and to hold? It's a, for better or worse. That's a promise. Health, richness and poor, till death do you part. And the guy says, I do. And do you take this man, you know, for better or for worse? And so, and sometimes, well, I didn't know there'd be all this illness, or I didn't know there'd be all these money problems, or I didn't know there'd be this tension. That wasn't, that wasn't the deal. Yeah. And those vows are, are binding. We take those vows before God. I think it's powerful here in Malachi too, that it says, uh, in verse 15, did not he, or did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? Uh, there's a spiritual component to, to any marriage, um, even people who aren't Christians, uh, that God has bound them together and yeah. they are, they're one. And, and as Jesus said, what God has joined together, let not man separate. In fact, Jesus uh, refers that back to the creation in the beginning, which applies to all mankind. As you said, it's not just to Christians, it's to mankind himself. Yeah. And, and, and in Malachi, she is your companion and your wife by covenant. By covenant, that's right. And can I just say something? This is a side note, but but if there's anybody listening who, who is maybe engaged or, or hopes to be married someday, when you're deciding how to do your marriage vows in the ceremony. Take that seriously. Um, I feel like I've been to some weddings recently uh, or heard of different weddings where they get to the vows and there's some serious stuff, but then there's like some frivolous kind of jo- joking, frivolous stuff. Um, and and I, I'm all for good humor and all that. Um, but when we're taking vows before God, we need to, that's not a joking matter. Yeah. Save the humor for another simple. area. Yep. Yes. Yep. So, you know, what's interesting to me is, is as we think about uh, our, our commitment as Christians, you know, in Ephesians 5, marriage is likened to Christ and the church. And it's kind of powerful to think about, you know, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper and, and he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. When we become Christians, we enter into a covenant relationship with the Lord. And now, I don't think I've ever been in a place where people actually like made vows, specific vows to God when they became a Christian. But there really is a sense in which, in the New Testament, this idea of a covenant, which is entered into by commitment uh, or vows, if you will, that, that when we say Jesus is Lord— you know, that's the statement, that's the confession of our faith. And we say, yeah, he's Lord. He's my Lord. There's a real sense in which that, that, that's a a binding covenant promise like marriage in that sense that we're committed to the Lord the rest of our days. Um, And we don't usually think of becoming a Christian in those terms sometimes as almost like this vow that we're taking, but really I think 
because it's a covenant relationship, we enter into that new covenant with the Lord. Um, there's some parallels there. Well, Paul does use that example, right? He talks about the husband and wife relationship. And then he says, although I'm using that, I'm really talking about the relationship with Christ. I'm paraphrasing. So that there is this concept of a, a wed. The Lord wants to be wed to us. And we as human beings understand that responsibility and the, the intimacy and the commitment in that wedding a marriage relationship. And I, I find it amazing that the Lord uses that marriage relationship between us and him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's powerful. And so again, as we just look at the, kind of an overview of this, I just think in general, you know, the, the vows that, we think about making the first is really our, our commitment to the Lord. When we enter into a covenant with him, when we repent of our sins and we confess Jesus as our Lord, and we are buried with him in the waters of baptism, we enter into that covenant relationship. That's a covenant that everybody needs to make to be saved. Um, the marriage covenant is one that some people will make. Many people will make, and we need to be true to that covenant those vows that we made to our spouse but outside of that we just need to really be careful about uh making any kind of vow uh any kind of binding promise um my general thought is just unless there's i don't know what circumstance would come up where you just feel like you have to but man uh unless I don't know of a situation that I might find myself in where I just felt like I had to make another vow besides those two. True. That's the, that's how you started the conversation. Wasn't it? When you went to Ecclesiastes, was it where you talked about don't make a vow you can't keep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's better not to vow right. than to vow and not pay. So there's nothing wrong in not making vows is what you're saying. Right. Right. Uh, we can still be committed to the Lord. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Um, and again, and you know, you, you brought in the, the covenant that we make with the Lord. And we, we talked about people breaking their marriage vows. And it's often because, well, things aren't going the way they want. Uh, and people, you think about people that walk away from the Lord. How many times have you seen people walk away from the Lord because some other Christian discouraged him. I got a signal saying I'm unstable. I don't know if that came through or not. Well, we already know you're unstable. But. Yeah, well, yeah. You're, <laughs> no, no, you're you're fine. Okay, you may be unstable, but your connection's still good. Yeah. So, um, like, you'll you'll see people, and there'll be a problems at a church or a disagreement with a brother or something, and they'll leave the Lord. They'll quit serving the Lord. They'll go back into the ways of the world and it's, but how does, how does what some person in 2018 do or not do to you or for you, how does that change what Jesus did on the cross? It shouldn't. It it doesn't change that. And um, there's a certain selfishness. Uh, in, in the abandonment of things because something didn't go my way. Yeah. Well, you know, in that case, in that case, there you're looking at. I think the situation is that their faith is in other people rather than in the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Many, sometimes, many and sometimes it was what they wanted out of the relationship, 
instead of what they were giving to the Lord in appreciation of a relationship with him. Yeah. And this is first and foremost true in our relationship with God. Lori just commented, coming back to the marriage covenant, the marriage vows, she says, uh, amen to making the vow serious. But also, as Scott was saying, it is vital back then before making the vows that we really think through the possibilities of the marriage we are contemplating. Will I stay with this man even if he became totally incapacitated? Will I stay with her even if we are starving? Will I be committed even if she treats me unfairly or becomes mentally ill or question marks, you know, whatever else you fill in the blank. Probably if every couple did that carefully, there would be fewer weddings, but that is what should be done. That's that's a powerful last sentence. There might be fewer weddings, but stronger marriages. Let me, let me tell you a story. I've told this story a number of times, but I want to share it again. It was very powerful when I heard it. Some of you, some of you are, used to listen to Dr. Laura Schlesinger when she was on the radio. Uh, was she a psychiatrist or a psychologist? I, I never remember. But uh, she, she read a letter on the air that was just so powerful, and I'll try to make it short. A lady from the Northwest United States wrote and kind of told her uh, th- this story. She had been looking for somebody to marry, but she took a while to marry her Friends probably got married before her, but she knew what she was looking for. And she had made a list of characters for what, you know, character issues of what she was looking for. And her friends thought that was very unromantic. You know, some of them told her, no, no, you you look at somebody, you fall in love with them. You don't have a list of what you're looking for. So they did their thing and she did hers and she stayed alone until one day she met a man and he had the qualities that she was looking for. And he also had a list. Oh, interesting. He was looking for, and they fit. And they got married. After they got married, she got hit with a terrible, terrible disease. And she did not have good control of her muscles. She started putting on just morbidly obese amounts of weight. She couldn't control herself physically, so she couldn't even get a shower. And she said he was always kind to her and complimentary. He would put a stool in the shower, and he would take the water, and he would, he would bathe her and, and clean her and, and, and just speak encouragingly and lovingly to her. Now, a really beautiful part of that story is that, and they don't all end this way, this one did she got better and the disease went away. But what a gift to know, you know, throughout the rest of her her marriage, what kind of man that was, you know, in, in sickness and in health, you know, and she knew he would be there. And that's the, when you're in a situation like that too, with a person who would have done the same for you if it had been reversed. But I've always found that story really powerful. That is real powerful. The husband there didn't pull a Mrs. Job. Right. And Mrs. Job right. said, just curse God and die already. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't do that. Yeah. Was there any other conclusion to the story about the other couple that I'd be curious if there was? Okay, there was. Uh, her friends? I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised if some of their marriages did not last so well. 
Oh, look at the time. Well, we had a couple other things we wanted to talk about, but we're not going to get to them today. We're looking at the end of the, I was going to say class, the end of the program. Just let me put up this screen share. Do we have eight more minutes or is my clock wrong? Uh, we got about a minute. We got about a minute. You want to continue with something, you go right ahead. I'm just going to put on the um, contact us information if people want to contact us or now, the easiest way to do it, even though I put this up each week, the easiest way to do it is to go to the website, BibleQuest.tv, fill out the form, send us information. We've gotten a couple of things, questions in that way, so you can do that. Or you can email us directly through Scott at, Jeff at, Stephen at, Drew at, BibleQuest.tv. Um, were you going to say something, Scott? No, I just, for some reason, my computer got the time wrong today. Sorry, go ahead. That was that instability that may have been yeah. <laughs> that's dangerous that's dangerous for a preacher if you, if you set the clock and you think you got more time <laughs> oh yeah. right 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 well we've got some questions that actually came in today we'll talk about next week very interesting questions that came in a question that came in which i think will be very um fruitful to discuss and we'll bring i'm going to leave that as a tease i'm not even going to mention what it is anything else guys before we Time out. No, thanks to everybody for your comments today, and uh, we hope to see you next Tuesday at two. Take care, everybody. Bye bye. All right, bye bye.